0: Good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Eduardo Echeverria, Professor of Philosophy and Theology at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. He's the author of several books, including uh, Pope Francis, The Legacy of Vatican II, and uh, and has an article that uh, uh, I caught sight of um, called, Is There a Place for Doctrinal Development in Aquinas' Thought? Now, I, that immediately got my attention, because this area of doctrinal, de- the idea of Development, the development of doctrine, the very idea of it, was very important to me in my returning to the Catholic Church. Um, and eventually, there are a lot of people who began to say, well, you know, doctrinal development, isn't that just a way of explaining uh, the Church's own internal contradictions? You throw doctrinal development on it, and, uh, you know, you're, you're safe and you're clear. Now, of course, I don't think that's right. But when I saw Ed's article— is there a place for doctrinal development in Aquinas's thought? I said this is a good excuse for me to explore this topic, which I'm anxious to learn more about. And good to see you here again. Good to see you, Al. Always a pleasure being on the show. Let's uh let's talk a little bit about this. Um, what well, first of all, let's just ask,
1: what is doctrinal development? What's the best way okay, so of defining it? Let's let's take um, the words of uh, uh, St. Vincent of Lorenz, who was a 5th century a monk, yeah. and uh, wrote about this, even in the 5th century, in his commonatorium And uh, he asked the question, uh, is there progress in religion? And he makes a distinction between progress and change. Change is when one thing becomes something else. So that would be something like to take an example, that would be to say, for instance, change would be if the church came to affirm the idea uh, or deny the idea that marriage is the, the two-in-one flesh union of a man and a woman. So that is there's, – there's a, a conceptual hardcore there. That is right. unchangeable. That's right. So the idea that, for instance, that marriage could be two men – or right. two women. Or three. <laughs> or whatever. That's, that's a change. Yeah. That's not doctrinal development. That's right. Uh, that contradicts. That, that's exactly right. Yep. That contradicts the conceptual, hardcore teaching, uh, the truth of marriage. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that, that sexual differentiation, sexual difference that God created man, male and female, as Jesus says in Mark 10. He points us back to the creation text of Genesis 127. God created man in his image, male and female, he created him. And and then Jesus says in Genesis 224, therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father and cleave unto his wife. And the two, which two? Male and female right. shall become one flesh, you see. So becoming one flesh, the two in one flesh, man and woman, sexual differentiation is a fundamental prerequisite for the two to become one flesh. Yep. Now, if that's denied, that's not development. That's change, right. say uh Vincent would say. Development, he says, here, let me quote him. He says he says Uh, Hence, it must be that understanding, knowledge, and wisdom grow and advance mightily and strongly in individuals as well as in the community, in a single person as well as in the church as a whole, he says, and this gradually according to age and history. But then he says, and this is the crew but only within the proper limits, uh, within the same dogma, the same meaning, he says, the same judgment. So not only, not only does it have to be the same meaning, but also you have to make the same judgment of truth, he says. Although, so then I go on to say, although the truth of faith may be expressed differently, they must be kept within determinate bounds. That is, we must always determine whether reformulations preserve the same meaning right. and mediate the same judgment of truth. Yeah. So when you hear people say, well, you know, marriage, two men or two women... That that's just development. No, that's not development. That's change. Because right. it's not doesn't have the same meaning that's if you true. have two men or two women. That's and true. it's not mediating the same judgment of truth that God created man, male and female. The catechism says male and female for each other. Yep. For each yep. other. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So there's a difference between development and change. And too often that's blurred. Yeah, you know, people don't. So, so Vatican II. What's his uh, John the twenty third in his opening address at the council? He depends on Vincent, mm-hmm. and he depends on the first Vatican Council, who quotes Vincent on this very point. On the very the, the, yeah. the, the very passage that I just read from Vincent. Yeah. that's quoted by Vatican I, and john the twenty third in in his very famous statement, he says, distinguishing between the propositional truths of faith and their formulation, he says, "For the deposit of faith, the truths contained in our venerable doctrine are one thing, the fashion in which they are expressed, but with the same meaning yeah. and the same judgment is another thing. So you have to ask yourself, you read a book, and this person." Like, for instance, in the, in the mid-60s, there's Pope Paul VI in his encyclical Mysterium Fide. He's dealing with uh, uh, pe- people who want to, you know, uh, to change uh, uh, Eucharistic presence. Right. And they begin talking about trans-signification. Yes, and trans-finalization. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And, uh, and Pope Paul VI says, I have no problem with trans signification, that it has a different meaning when it's the concept, or after the words of consecration or a different purpose, he says. But that only makes sense if you have transubstantiation exactly. he says. Exactly. So yeah. so doing away with transubstantiation you you would have a different dogma. And this is a good, this is
0: actually, Eucharist is probably a very good illustration of the development of doctrine. Because mm-hmm. here you have, this is my body. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, and right, so, right. And so naturally, one says, this is my body. What, what does that mean? What's, what's he saying? Right. And as the church reflects on it, right. and there are other sources that we draw right, from right, too, right, 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 But we come up with a, a fairly highly, I mean, defined doctrine of transubstantiation. Absolutely.
1: The, the the doctrine, the conceptual hardcore, to use that term, means he, in this in this instance that after the words of consecration, there's a um, a fundamental um, change in substance, yeah. transformation of substance, yeah. so that you no longer have uh, uh, the the bread and wine, you have the, the body and blood of, yeah. of Christ. Okay. That's right. so if you if you if you don't think that. If you're trying to get rid of that, then, of course, that's a change. That's not a development. Exactly. Let me give you – so John Paul II, in my view, in the theology of the body, he actually develops, in in part two where he's talking about the sacrament of marriage, he actually uh, develops the sacrament of marriage uh, because now he makes very clear that uh, sexual difference is fundamental to the validity of the sacrament that you cannot have a valid sacrament when you say I take you as my wife I take you as my husband that assertion has to correspond to sexual difference yeah and so it can marriages can't just be about love you know in the abstract in the I mean, abstract yeah, no yeah. no 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 so that so John Paul makes it very clear that and I think it's a brilliant uh, development in that sense, not a change, but a development of the sacrament of marriage because he makes very clear that without sexual differentiation, you can't have a valid sacrament. Um, so when he, so when the catechism says that uh, you know what's wrong with uh, with homosexuality, that it's not open to life, the reason it's not open to life, is because only a unitive act can be generative. That's right. And homosexual sex can't be unitive. No matter how, uh, much, how deep personal affection right, or right. personal commitment
0: might be, mm-hmm. um, you, you simply, that kind of, whatever whatever they are experiencing, which they might call intimacy or the unitive function of it, it can't be generative.
1: Well, it can't be generative because it can't be unitive in the end. Well, that's ultimately because that's, only that's a, right. only a sexual differentiation to to have a unitive act. There has to be sexual differentiation. Yeah. Uh, and if you if there isn't sexual differentiation, if the, if the two can't become one flesh, then then you can't have a generative act. Right. Only. A, uh, uh, Robert Riley, in his book on homosexuality, uses he says only a unitive act can be generative, yeah. and only a generative act can be unitive. He says yeah. so. Yeah. That's good. So if you don't have, you, it, I mean, that's I think that's 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 developed uh, by John Paul in the theology of the body uh, because he understands that the body is fundamental uh, uh, to uh, to s- to, to, to marriage, to the marital act, and so on. So humanity, so too. Yeah, to humanity, humanity yeah. more generally, but yeah. in particular. So you can have development there, uh, but development can't be changed. Yeah. And that goes all the way back to Vincent de Lorenz. Yeah. There's a difference so between this progress has been, and change. The
0: Church has been aware... I mean, even even in Scripture, we talk about progressive revelation. Right, right. Which has some analogous right. relationship to developing mm-hmm, doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, so we take a look at the Old Testament, and we look at uh, uh, the, um, off- the Melchizedek offering. We look at right, the, uh, right. the mosaic system and the sacrificial offering of animals, and ev- eventually it develops, and we have the offering of the Lamb of God, unblemished Lamb now, of God.
1: Now, sometimes... Uh- um there are distinctions made here about uh so some some things that we uh that we read about like in in uh, in St Paul's letters uh imply implicit teaching can be made explicit by you know alternatively formulating it mm-hmm. um yeah. So, in fact, Aquinas says we ought not to say about God anything which is not found in Holy Scripture, either implicitly, explicitly, or implicitly. So sometimes, sometimes uh, you can have um, what's called uh, a formal, um, a formal uh, a formulation. So that that means that some you're, you're really saying the same thing in a different way, right? So when we read St. Paul in Philippians, you know, about uh, that, uh, you know, uh, that basically that the word became flesh, took on human form, and Mm -hmm. so on, well, he's affirming something about the divinity of Christ, you see. Yes, and John. John is the word
0: flesh. And, and John also exactly he did not uh, uh, did not regard equality with God
1: something to be grasped. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. So it's f- but so it took on this form of a servant. The technical term that's used there is that it's formally revealed. Yes. Okay. It's formally revealed. In other words, the biblical revelation: I and the Father are one. Yeah. From John ten thirty is expressed in a new conceptual way. The word homoousia in the in the in the you know, in the nice, in the Calcinon, the Creed of Calcinon. Hold it there, we we'll come back. Okay. Music just came okay. up.
0: Uh, we're going to come back. My guest, Dr. Eduardo Echeverria taking a look at this idea of the development of doctrine, trying to bring gain clarity uh, to an area which is often foggy. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta, exploring this idea of doctrinal development, which is very important uh, in Catholic uh, theology and the development of Catholic doctrine. Uh, we're trying to, again, lay it out there because people will sometimes, um, who don't understand it, will think that it's a subtle or a way or even a deceptive way of dealing with what they call doctrinal change, and that's not what doctrinal development is about. We were talking with uh, my guest, Dr. Eduardo Echevarria, uh, about the concept of development going all the way back to Vincent of Lorenz in the 5th century, where he has the idea of the progress in religion, and he makes it clear that that is not change – Progress in religion is growth and advancement in knowledge, entering more deeply into the reality of these things. And we were also talking about um, how one aspect of doctrinal development is taking what is implicit and making it explicit. Uh, and you can see that in so many areas of Catholic thought. Uh, you see it in the doctrine uh, of the Eucharist, for instance, um, and um, you can see it even in the Doctrine of the Incarnation there's a development Uh, the Council Fathers in the 325 AD at the Council of Nicaea uh, come up with uh, a distinction that uh, I mean they fought over it had to do with Jesus uh, what was his relationship to the Father, what's the Son's relationship to the Father does he share the same being as the Father so Uh, The answer is yes, they are one in being. Um, So we are looking at uh, this whole idea of uh, doctrinal development. I did want to ask a question that slipped by me last segment. We don't have to spend much time on it. But would you say that John Paul II's uh, Theology of the Body is uh, the the most recent instance of an attempt to really uh, develop a doctrine in a in a, um, in a, in a big I, way
1: I, as I suggested in the last section session, uh, I think uh, with respect to, for instance, the sacrament of marriage, uh, there is a development yep. there, not a change, because right. remember I said the conceptual hardcore of the of the dogma of marriage yep. is that it 's uh, the two one flesh union of a man and yeah. a woman, so sexual yeah. differentiation is a fundamental prerequisite for the two to become one flesh. I think John Paul II develops that in as much as he understands that you can't have a valid sacrament without sexual differentiation. Right, Right. So it can't just be, he says at one point, I take you as my wife, I take you as my husband. There has to be there a corresponding sexual difference. That's right. If you don't have a corresponding sexual you don't have husband and wife. You don't have husband and wife, right. and you don't have a valid sacrament. Right. Because, right. And, and remember. And there's least, no room to move on this. No, no, there's no. No, this is unchangeable. Yeah, yeah this is. This. this is unchangeable. So, whatever development there is, however, our understanding of marriage is deepened by John Paul in the theology of the body, there is a conceptual, hardcore truth mm-hmm. that remains the same, that is unchangeable. It cannot change. Clarifying the marital act, for instance, as being both procreative and unitive. Right. Only a unitive act, remember we said, can be generative. So if you can't, uh, uh, same sex, sex cannot be unitive. Right. Right. Cannot be unitive. Because it can't be generative. Yes. And it can't be generative because (laughs) it can't be unitive, (laughs) you see. Right. Right. Now, it's interesting. We just go back for a moment to uh, what you just said. Uh, there we have in, in the biblical revelation in John 10.30, I and the Father are one. So the Church reflected on that in the early centuries of the Church. What does that mean? Yeah. So it came, to put it br- briefly, it came to express in a new conceptual way, homoousian. Yes. You know, not homoousia, which was that Jesus and the Father are like each other. Right. No, right. but as we say every Sunday in the Nicene Creed, Consubstantial with the Father, and and so that that's a, f- a formally revealed truth, the consubstantiality of the Son with the Father. Yeah. This is about the formally revealed. Yeah, and Aquinas uses that when he talks about the implicit explicit scheme of how you can have doctrinal development. But there's another there's another matter, and that is when I. You know the virtually revealed. Yes. Yeah, so it tell, so the, we have formally revealed. Formally revealed. So that's saying got, the same thing in a different way. Yeah. And but now there's virtually the revealed. virtually revealed, which which involves um, uh, a a further uh, a, a true elucidation of a further implication. So for instance. Remember here, when we talk about the virtually reveal, we're not merely stating the same thing in a new proposition. For example, consider the teachings of the Sixth Ecumenical Council, Constantinople III, namely that in Christ there are two wills. One human, the other divine. Uh, Aidan Nichols, in his book on doctrinal development, he says, we need to interpose, he says, between the truth that Christ is God and man, And the inference that Christ has two wills, a piece of constructive metaphysics, he says. Yeah. A piece of constructive, namely, the assertion that the structure of spirit is such, is of such a kind that no spiritual nature, such as human and divine nature, uh, must be, can lack its own will, he says. And here we are firmly in the realm of the virtually revealed. This dogmatic statement of Constantinople 3 is not just an explication of the original gospel. It is a true elucidation, he says, of the further implication of the incarnation. Because remember, a true elucidation of further implication of the incarnation that Jesus was, was uh, yeah, he was true God and true man. Uh, so you're trying to articulate sure. the, the fullness of his humanity. Yeah. The yeah. fullness of his humanity. It is, is this a revealed truth, a true development of dogma from virtual virtuality to actuality? If so, uh, Nichol says there must be a homogeneity between Constantinople III and the apostolic deposit. Yes. Okay. So you. So you have to work that out, of course. You,
0: yeah, you've got to you've got to be able to demonstrate that that proposition from Constantinople III is compatible. With what we see even
1: stronger, that there's a homogeneity, that there's a, that there's a sameness. Yeah, that, there's, yeah okay. that it's somehow uh, not implied in the same way that the formerly revealed uh, is implied, but that you can show that there's some continuity between the gospel and what the gospel is affirming about the divinity and humanity of yeah. Christ. And what is affirmed, what is asserted in Constantinople? Yeah, this is uh, so. This kind of idea. This to go back for a moment to John Henry Newman. I mean, John Henry Newman's in his book *In Development of Christian Doctrine*, he's trying to deal. He's trying to respond to, you know, the Protestant objection that Catholicism is really uh, a, uh, a corruption. Of the faith. Yes. yes. That it's a corruption. And so he's trying to show us that you can have genuine development that is at the same time in continuity with the faith itself, with the deposit of faith. And that's what he... That's what he so he has all these... He the, has these seven... You, you exactly, these, these criteria. Seven criteria. Uh, Go over some of identity those. Identity of, of type. So the identity of type means that it's the same dogma. That it's the same, uh, that there's a conceptual hardcore there, that it's unchanging. John Henry Newman believed in propositional revelation, Right. that revelation, there are certain assertions made there. And so these things God are, speaks. God in speaks. In words. In words. Yeah. And yeah. in statements. Yep. And in a variety of ways. But he makes... So, Revelation consists of, not only, but it, cons- it, it, it consists of assertions. Yeah. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's right. That's an assertion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Jesus, when, you know, I and the Father are one, that's an assertion. Yeah. So, these are... And when I, when I ask then, uh, God revealed
0: that Jesus and the Father are one, and I say to myself, What the heck does that mean? All of a sudden, that's I'm doing theology.
1: You're doing (laughs) theology, and the church initially was trying to do that in Nicaea, that we confess every Sunday, in the Creed of Chalcedon, that there's a divine person with two natures, and so on. And then further on, after that, because other questions, if if Jesus is not only divine, has a divine nature, but a human nature— does that mean that his human nature has a will? Does he have a divine will a human will? So these right. are all things that you have doctrinal development, the development of dogma. Yep. But, but these the are questions about his mother. Questions about yeah, his mother. Yeah. yeah and, if, and and the Council of Ephesus, you know, uh, re- replying, rejecting uh, the the idea that uh, that Jesus uh, is, uh, um, you know, there were bishops, and Nestorius, who who would would not assert and hence he would not confess that uh, that Mary was the mother of God right he wouldn't she say was that. the mother of Jesus yeah. etc, and so he you had two persons a uh, a human person and a divine person, and uh, Ephesus says no, there are certain uh, doctrinal implications from Mary. Being the mother of God, that you know the flesh Christ's human flesh comes from Mary, and so on yes. and so on. So Newman, Newman is interested in this conceptual hardcore that remains the same, uh, that there has to be a continuity there, of principle, that the teaching, "I and the Father are one," has an assimilative power so that there's development there. And it, so people raise questions. They raise questions like we're in a time now where people raise questions. Well, why can't two men be married? Yeah. yeah. Why can't two women? The, to me, the, tea, the you know John Paul II already gave us, already gave us an answer to that by developing in the theology of the body the significance of sexual differentiation as being constitutive of marriage so that you can't have a valid sacrament if you don't have a male, uh, a man and a woman, you see. But these are questions that, are, I mean, who was asking those questions even 25 years ago? Right. Why can't two men or two women be men? Yeah, it, it, so the, it, the dogma has an assimilative power. There's a logical coherence, he says, and the dogma also has a certain fruitfulness, fecundity, and so on. Hold there! Can you stay longer sure. with me? I,
0: I I want to continue this conversation and keep sure. unpacking Newman sure, here sure, sure. on these criteria sure. for the development of doctrine. My guest, Doctor Eduardo Echevarria, is there a place for doctrinal development in Aquinas's thought? Was the article that caught my mind, and it gave us uh, a good reason to talk about this idea of doctrinal development, which uh, has really been made explicit. Uh, in the last two centuries. I'm Al Cresta. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Eduardo Echeverria. We've been uh, going over the, the, again, the sometimes tricky um concept of doctrinal development. And um I think it's easy in some ways it's easy to conceive of this. I mean we all know what it's like to uh enter more deeply into a topic. You know, we all learn. Uh, if you're a musician. Uh you begin learning your scales, right? Uh and eventually you learn how to improvise there. Uh, you're deepening your understanding of those scales. Uh, this flows right from the very uh, being uh, of those scales. you find um, you have the idea of you see somebody come towards you on the street right and you're uh, you make him out It's unclear who that is the closer you're getting you're seeing him more clearly oh it's my best friend, you know well. Those are analog- analogies which have something to do with the idea of doctrinal development. We're seeing something uh, real. We may not know all that is packed mm-hmm. into these biblical statements, and then we, they get teased out over time. Uh, the, all the Marian dogmas, for instance, are actually uh, dogmas about the Incarnation. They go back to who Jesus is. So they're, applic- they're in some ways those are, I don't know if it's formally a doctrinal development, but I can see how those dogmas would have developed. Uh, but do dogmas develop, or, do, or is that restricted well, to doctrines? Okay,
1: so remember, dogmas are strictly speaking revealed truths. Yes, truth, that's that's what I was saying. Whereas say. doctrines, uh, although they're connected to revelation, uh, they're implications from revelation. That's right.
0: That's right. Very good. Very good.
1: Um, Let's go over some of these
0: uh, the criteria
1: that, uh, that Newman, uh, John Henry Newman yeah, yeah. uses. Okay, because so these are classic. Yeah, yeah. So Newman, Newman, uh, in in a second edition of his work, uh, he he talked about instead of criteria, he talks about tests, tests or okay. indications for distinguishing true and false doctrinal development. He wrote this work in 1845, which was instrumental to his coming into... I
0: was just going to say, he is, that's around the time of his conversion. That's
1: right. So this was instrumental for his conversion okay. because he provided the justification to his satisfaction that Catholicism wasn't a corruption of the faith, but it was a development of the faith. Right. Uh, and so it's, uh, there were seven of these tests. Uh, identity of type, I said. Uh, continuity of principle. So both both of those have to do with the idea... That what I was calling um, using a term from a British British philosophical theologian Oliver Crisp that there's a dogmatic conceptual hard core yeah stays the same it's unchangeable just as I tell the, my students m- you know uh, marriage is the two in one flesh union of a man and woman that is unchangeable truth the Church will never say never yeah. ever say that two men or two women can be married right. The church, I think in John Paul II, as we said in the previous session, can deepen our understanding of what marriage is, etc., yeah. etc., cetera, et cetera, but there are determinate bounds within, the, as, new, as, a, as what's his name, Vincent de Laurent says, that within the, the same dogma, keeping the same meaning and the same judgment of truth. Mm-hmm. When you begin mm-hmm. to say things like marriage can be two men or two women, then that's change. One thing has become something else. Right, right. Yeah. So they're, they're, for, for Newman, then, you don't have continuity of principle, identity of type. The dogma, as I said previously, can have an assimilative power. People have questions. Well, Father, why can't two men be married? Right. Or why can't two women be married? Isn't that just bigotry mm-hmm. etcetera etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. or even things like well why can't a woman be a priest right okay those questions were not asked throughout the history of the church That's particularly right. the ones about marriage nobody ever thought anybody would ask the question why two men can't be married right. right so so the the dogma for Newman would have an assimilative power that is to say it would be able to address those questions and assimilate those questions. So in.
0: that would be, so something could emerge which has explanatory power answering those questions, and, and, and those questions are all assimilated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, John inter- Paul II, I think, is yeah. uh, his Theology of the body. Yes, does okay. That. That's how you see Logical it.
1: Logical coherence. Yes, okay. That there's a continuity there, that whatever else, however our understanding is deepened, it has to be consistent with what we already know to be right. the case. Right. You know, so when we're reflecting, for instance, on the fate of the unevangelized, what about those people who never heard of Christ? Whatever we conclude there has to be consistent with Jesus when he says to the apostles, uh, uh, no man, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That's right. Or when Peter says there is no name other than the name of Jesus by which men can be saved. Or when Paul says there's only one mediator between God and man. Whatever we conclude, however, we deepen our understanding of that, that, that question, what, are we, what about the fate of the unevangelized? What about those who've never heard of Christ? It cannot be that we now say there are actually many ways right. to the Father. That's right. No. Because there's, uh, the, the, those statements
0: uh, all indicate that there's, Jesus offers
1: an exclusive access to the Father. They are true statements about reality. Yeah. And that's why the meaning remains the same, you see. That's what Lorenz means when he says it has to keep the same meaning and the same judgment of truth. The meaning is going to remain the same because it's telling us something true about reality. Yeah. It's telling... So, for Newman, fecundity, in other words, that these dogmas are fruitful. That is to say... They lead to more than themselves. Exactly. So that you know uh john paul ii to stay with him his theology of the body is is uh is f- rich in exploration and in development yes because it's t- it helps us to understand the moral life moral choices i mean in Fides ratio and well also in Veritatis splendor the pope says you know um that uh, you can't separate the soul and the body are united there's a coherence there and so when we think about moral choices they're grounded in the whole man making choices yeah. including yeah. his body and let me let, let me go to something which has
0: been uh, of great concern uh, to people and uh, would warrant the entire interview uh, I did in fact I've talked about this and with Dr. Ralph Martin your colleague there from yes, Sacred Heart uh, Yes, the idea of hell there are those who will claim that development of doctrine is leading us to the idea that hell doesn't exist or there'll be nobody in hell okay now I don't believe that. No, I don't. Right? I, don't I mean, I don't, I think I don't see the church teaches that. No, uh, I mean, one of the reasons you know, the church doesn't teach it. But one of the reasons I never did end up believing it, was simply because when you look at the language that Jesus uses, mm-hmm. he uses the most extreme language at his disposal to indicate the horror of final separation from God. Right. And um, it would be inappropriate for him to be using language of that sort right, right. if hell
1: never exists. It's not just threat language. No, no. It's making assertions. Yeah. Uh, 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 prophetically, even uh, using metaphors. Here's, here's my, uh, I always cite here, paragraph 1861 of the Catechism. It says, Our freedom has the power To make choices that last forever, such that if we die in a state of unrepentant sin, unrepentant sin, that causes exclusion from God's kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. That causes. So hell is important because it takes seriously our choices, the choices that we make.
0: it, it, It speaks to who we are we we are eternal we we are made f- to last forever we're made to last forever <laughs> and so it means your destiny is going to last forever Right, right, right. Uh so you cannot have a hell um, No that
1: you, no, you can't uh, I, I think it's uh, I mean this i I've, I wrote about this in my Even annihilationism book. doesn't work. No, no, right. That's even right. worse, of course. <laughs> no, I wrote about this in my book, a Divine Election, a Catholic Orientation and Dogmatic and Ecumenical Perspective. And I discuss in my in the sixth chapter I discuss uh Balthazar's hopeful universalism, yeah. I yeah. discuss uh, Calvin Carl uh, Barth. And, and, yeah, there was, and, and there
0: uh, is a reform stream of yeah. universalism, but it's right. It's really stretching the tra- no, no, that is right. stretching that tradition. Right, right, right. right. But yeah. there
1: is a there is a Catholic doctrine of divine election. Right. But yeah, no, I, I, in my judgment, that's not the, that can't be seen as doctrinal development. No, I, I agree. It, and it, and particular, it's a,
0: direct, it's a contradiction. I think it's, it's a, a contradiction. direct
1: contradiction. I, I think it's me. I think it's a direct trial. Let's just uh, one one other thing here. Let me uh, um, see these tests of Newman are necessary but they're not sufficient because we need what uh, uh Monsignor Guarino calls ecclesial warrants. We need uh, in, in other words to assess doctrinal development we need warrants such as sacred scripture. Yeah. Yeah. We need ecumenical councils. Yeah. We need the doctors of the church. We need the Christian faithful. We need the magisterium. Yeah. You know, we, uh, because, remember, alternative formulations, saying something, uh, saying the same thing differently, how do we know whether it's, uh, how do we know, Newman asks, how do we, is it conserving the original or is it uh, a corruption, he says? A true development is that which is conservative of its original. And a corruption is that which tends to its destruction. Right. The continuity of principle and the identity of type, or what, as I said, this uh, British uh, philosophical theologian Oliver Crisp calls the dogmatic conceptual hardcore, is what Newman refers to when he speaks of what must be conserved. That's but good. Newman re- reve- Newman believed in revealed truth. He believed that uh, that uh, revealed truth, God revealed truth, such that it was irrevocably committed to human language he says
0: well this is the, that's the biggest divide don't you think Oh, in absolutely. theology that's it those you who see, actually believe god revealed god, he is there and he is not
1: silent as <laughs> going back to our, <laughs> as francis old, Schaeffer, our old teacher yeah. of ours. <laughs> right he is there and he is not silent yeah. god has actually spoken in a written revelation yeah and uh, and that so that necessarily involves Propositions, assertions assertions. I agree with you. If you dispense with propositional revelation that God has actually revealed Himself yeah. in word, not just in deed, but in word, as Dave Edmund says in paragraph two, yeah. then of course you you will eventually eliminate the distinction between development and change. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean I
0: think this is the this is really the dividing line. And this is one reason why Catholics Who believe that God has spoken uh, in this way, actually have much more in common with evangelical Protestants that have a high view of Scripture, believe God has spoken, than
1: we do with certain Catholic theologians who, where it's it's, it's experiential, it's all experiential, yeah. And it and it and so they don't make the distinction any longer between development and change. It's all experiential, Uh, and and so of course they think, well, why can't two men get married? Yeah. Yeah, I mean they, the, they, they have no—they have no boundary there. Ultimately, two men can't get married because of what Genesis one twenty-seven asserts about reality. What marriage is, right? That God created man, male and female. Ed, thanks so much. Wonderful talking with you again. My pleasure.
0: Is there a place for doctrinal development in Aquinas' thought? The article by Doctor Eduardo Echeverria available for you uh, in our. Um, been Maria Cresta Guest Archive I'm Al Cresta